Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today we're going to talk some USC Trojan football with our friend Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist over at uscfootball.com. That's, of course, our website. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, I don't know, maybe don't even send them in. We've got so many, I don't even know what we're going to do. We've got questions for weeks. Uh, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. You can text or call, six. I'm sorry, 424 254-9141. That's 424-254-9141. Uh, let me just get it off the bat. So we've get, we're getting so many questions now that it's in season. I know a lot of people like to write long questions. They give all of their takes and give like 10 points on the game. We can't read those. There's just too many. Be very concise on what your questions are. Here's one point, not here's the 10 points I want to talk about. I'm sorry. Like in the off season, we can do it. We just can't do it right now. I'm, I mean, I'm getting them every second of the day. I'm getting an email question on the podcast. So if it's good and it's tight, we'll read it. If it's not, I'm going to try to let people know, Hey, there's too bit, there's too much here. We can't read all this stuff. So, but if I don't read your question, that's most likely why we're trying to get to all of them. It's just really hard to do that. If you want to subscribe, iTunes.com slash Peristyle podcast. We're also on Google play and Stitcher radio and tune in radio and audio boom. A lot of ways you can download it. Please leave a uh, positive feedback that really helps the show. Uh, let people know about it. We've had uh, record downloads. It's been awesome. So uh, the show's definitely growing and we appreciate it. This is our 10th football season. Uh, kind of crazy. And Dan, I, I, Dan, I'd never done this before, but I sent you all of the questions as of last night. We've got a few more since I sent those to you. I don't know if just looking on pieces, I don't know how many pages it was of questions just for you. How crazy is that? Yeah. And, uh, all I could say is, if you wanted to try to read them, you would have had to read. You would have to read them so fast that I don't know that we could even understand them because uh, there were a lot of words. I mean, I don't blame people. I understand that game uh, created an awful lot of doubt and questions. But uh, man, that was a lot. Yeah, it's uh, so. I do apologize. We will try to get to. I mean, we're going to talk about all the topics. We'll try to get to everything we can. We want, you know, we want to read everybody's name and all that kind of stuff, but. Um, if they're just really long, uh, we're not going to be able to do it. It's just too much here. So, uh, okay. So we got a lot to get to before we jump in. I want to thank our sponsor SeatGeek. Uh, so if you want to buy tickets to sporting events, concerts, all that kind of stuff can be complicated, but there's a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. So I actually have the SeatGeek app on my phone. I love kind of checking the ticket prices. Uh, it was interesting to see how Stanford was a lot cheaper than Texas. That was the, the hottest ticket in town. Um, it's really easy way to buy tickets. So, uh, you know, we got a couple uh, road games for USC, and then they're coming back home. So if you want to get tickets to any of the USC home games, definitely download SeatGeek, the app. And uh, we have actually a special... Uh, offer for you so it'll save you time and money you, it'll search multiple ticket sites to compare prices and give you great deals and it'll give you your most bang for your buck it'll grade every ticket based on its value so you can immediately find out hey this is a good value ticket this is not and every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek without 
uh, any worries, you have full confidence. So it'll be your go-to app to find the best deals on any type of ticket, sports, comedy, of course, USC football. You want to go to theater, you can do that too. So for my listeners here on the Peristyle Podcast, $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. You just have to download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code USC. That's promo code USC for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So good stuff there. Um, well, Dan, we got a lot of questions. I guess we'll jump right into it. Three home games, uh, a couple road games coming up. Um, here's one that's kind of uh, been a common one. A lot of people talking about it. I'll play it for you and get your uh, get your answer. JD from DC with this week's uh, question for Dan Weber. Dan, I think uh, Texas exposed the correct formula for beating USC, and it's a structural problem. I don't see how we're going to deal with it. Um, you know, uh, let's let their wide receivers beat us. Uh, USC does not have a deep threat. They don't have a whole lot of speed. And in the red zone on third and fourth down, they don't have a big, tall, uh, physical possession receiver that can uh, outmuscle us or high point the ball. So the game plan is park seven or eight in the box, blitz every play, and take away the run. Uh, and that seemed to work last night for them. Yeah, well, it is uh, the problem if USC doesn't adjust. Yeah, I mean, duh. If they, you know, come with all everybody, blitz their, all their linebackers on every play, and you don't change what you're doing on offense, yeah, they, you got a problem because they got you outnumbered. You got to, uh, you know, I, I think I'd hit Stephen Carr on the field. He's he's my he's USC's second best receiver. Uh, gives you more options. Uh, you got to have. I think you're probably going to have to line up two uh, running backs. And, uh, you know, I do think they got to figure out what to do with the tight end. Uh, I mean, if, he, if he's not really a threat and not going to block anybody, I don't know. Do you do what Stanford does and put in a, uh, another tackle? Uh, but uh, uh, there are things USC could have done. They just chose not to do them. And they've got to adjust. They've got to go to school. On, everybody's going to go to school on what Texas did. Well, fine. You go to school on what Texas did, too. And there are, there are plenty of things they could do. I mean, let's face it, they took the ball the length of the field twice at the end of the first half the end of the second half in 49 seconds and, and got a touchdown and then a field goal to tie the game. And, uh, they, you know, they got 397 yards. You can say, oh, you know, they, USC's got no wide receivers. They can't da-da-da-da-da. They got 397 yards passing. Probably should have had 597 yards. Uh, but they didn't take what, was, what Texas was giving them. Got to do that. Yeah, I agree. That was, uh, that seemed evident to a lot. And I think a lot of the questions we get today are, are kind of along that theme, that same line. Um, Jason in Longhorn Country, who, you know, I think he's very happy that USC at least got the win. He said, why can't we find someone other than Deontay and Mitchell who can catch the football? Fight on a very frustrated Jason in Longhorn Country. A really good question. We've been, you know, there at every practice and, uh, and we're not sure. They don't look like they're getting better. I mean, they look like uh, we were more impressed with uh, wide receivers as a group. I think uh, early in the uh, you know in summer practice, uh, well, in actual in uh, the PRPs or the uh, you know early fall camp, uh, as the you know as it's, the season has gone on, it, it looks like there are fewer opportunities to throw the ball to to people and they certainly did look like they got beat up a little bit by the uh, Texas uh, big strong tough Texas corners I mean it just looked like they just uh, you know weren't gonna weren't gonna let them run free and um, you know other than Deontay who just seems to have the knack and then Steven 
uh, you know, just seems to pull his punches until that time, and then he he'll make a big play for you. Uh, but that nobody else has stepped up yet. Uh, Tyler Vaughn's is he on the cusp of doing that? Well, we'll see. Uh, you know, you got to do more than you know just run patterns. You got to block and got to do some things that, uh, and you got to be uh, dependable. I think Sam is really trying to work it out. Who do I trust? Who do I throw the ball to? Uh, and, uh, you know, my solution just keeps pointing to Stephen Carr, that he's got to be on the field more. He's got to become your, your Reggie Bush. I mean, how much did they throw the ball to Reggie Bush? How much did they line him, in the, line him up in the slot, put him in motion, force the other team? I mean, if Texas wanted to stay with what they were doing, and you're putting Stephen Carr in motion, or you're you're hitting him in the flat, or you're sending him on wheel routes. Let him. Uh, yes, he. You know they were real proud that they targeted him three times. They should have targeted him 13 times. I mean, <laughs> you know, come on, let's go. Until Texas got out of that, you just keep doing what they weren't going to be able to cover, and you do not run the ball 37 times. Average 1.9 yards a run. That's ridiculous. Uh, on every pass attempt, USC averaged 7.8 yards per pass attempt. They averaged 14.2 yards per completion. Why in the world would you run the ball 37 <laughs> times for 1.9 yards? That's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little nuts. <laughs> um, Tarek has a question. Tarek is always great. He gives us a short, concise uh, we love him. Where has yeah? Where has Kerry Angeline been? You have raved about him in practice. Uh, I love it when we get the the raved about. Yeah, we we see guys do well in practice. We're not lying, so, but sometimes they don't play in games. But what do you think about Kerry Angeline, Dan? I mean, catch the ball. I don't know. They they have to. It has to be a blocking. You would think it's a blocking issue. Now, when you talk to Kerry or you talk to the coaches earlier, it didn't sound like that was. That was a big issue, uh, but obviously there's an issue there because he is a threat, uh, and to not see him, you know, get on the field, he's not the only one that you think, you know, on offense or defense that you think, boy, he's a, you know, he flashes in practice, and then he's nowhere to be seen, uh, you know, when they kick the ball off. So we'll probably, we'll, you know follow up on that this week to see uh, uh why he's not uh why he's not involved uh you know or you see the freshman and then you know it it looked like they were just kind of you know hesitant to pull the trigger i mean they, they i think they really have to start looking at, at what's going on with the player development and they flip it over to the other side we're now a year and a half into uh Olawale Batiku and uh and Connor Murphy and you know, the Stanford game, neither one of them got in the game. I mean, there's just some, it looks like some issues in terms of development and trusting people and getting them ready to play. And that's got to start happening better and sooner. And, uh, you know, it's it just, it's not, we're not seeing that. And that's not a good thing. This is uh, from Mike in Santa Barbara, but I think he might be Mike in Tustin because he's like in lockstep with what you're saying, Dan. He said, first, okay. I want to say what a great job you and your staff are doing with the new and improved website. Thank you, uh, Mike. This, the amount of new content you put up every day is phenomenal and appreciated by your subscribers. Yeah, there's a lot going up, so make sure you check 
Some people don't check the front page. Check the front page of uscfootball.com because there's a lot of stuff going up. Now a question on the play calling for Dan. I'm sure you're getting many questions about the somewhat baffling play calling. You are right. Uh, against Texas, I'm not an expert by any stretch, but it was obvious that the success we had running the ball against Stanford, Rojo or Stephen Carr up the middle or off tackle, wasn't working against the Longhorns. That fourth down goal line handoff to Rojo up the middle was so obvious they stuffed him immediately. Question is, T. Martin's a very smart guy, but why didn't he just adjust the play calling to fit their defense? Uh, especially use a two-back set hmm, and confuse the defense with our explosive running backs in the same at in at the same time. Seems uh, like it was something which could have worked. Many thanks, Mike in Santa Barbara. Yeah, we'll have to ask T. I have no idea. I mean, it just seems so obvious uh, that that to not do that. There, there's a stubbornness. Uh, I think, and I have, I I do not like the. Uh, we have to have balance, we have to have balance, we have to have balance. I don't like that. you got to do what the other team gives you. you just got to. And I think uh, uh, Texas was, was uh, depending on the fact that USC is going to try to line up with three wide receivers and run the ball. And they took advantage of it. And USC did not force them out of that. And they almost won the game by doing that because USC was stubborn. So now that's, this is the worry, I think, is two of the three games so far, USC has come down to the wire and looked like they were really stubborn until forced by circumstances not to be stubborn, like at the end of the first half and at the end of the regulation. They couldn't be stubborn. They didn't have time to be stubborn. They didn't have time to run dumb running plays. So they were forced to throw the ball. But... Uh, I, that's not the way to do it. You gotta, you've got to take what they give you. If you don't, you're in, you're in a world of trouble, which USC has been in two of the first three games. Um, Vassar Dad from the Peristyle, not very happy. He wants to know, can we expect you to ask tougher questions to Clay and T this week after the offensive performance? And he kind of brings up a few points that we've already talked about, but he wants to know, he said, T Martin is the wide receivers position coach and is responsible for developing these players. How would you rate his player development of the redshirt and true freshman class? Could T be splitting himself uh, too thin between being the offensive coordinator and wide receiver coach? We appreciate uh, your reporting of what is said and done during practice. Um, let's see. Uh, um, yeah, for, uh, yeah, for Vassar, uh, we could ask, for example, uh, Sunday night, I asked some of the questions you wanted me to ask. Uh, Clay didn't answer them. I mean, he's not going to throw T under the bus, okay? He does not. He's not going to throw his brother under the bus. Uh, but I did ask those questions. You know, I, I said, hey, you had a 50, you threw the ball 51 times, you ran it 37. But my take was, you ran it way too many. Clay's take on that was, yeah, we adjusted really well. Instead of, you know, going 50 50, we were 51, uh, passing to 37 and he thought that was a, a good adjustment now you know we're not going to argue with him at that point because you don't get a the, you know you don't get a follow-up argument but whether he was just protecting his play callers or whether he really understands that running at 37 times for an, a 1.9 yard average and not being able to get any short yard situations with uh, three wide receivers and all, all, you know, no, no blocking back, you know, running out of the shotgun, uh, you know, inside the one yard line, whether 
that's what he tells us. Whether when they sit down and watch that film, so what we'll know is when they line up this week, and when they, you know, we'll we'll get to see them some in practice. Whether we can, you know, tell you how much of that we see, we're not going to, you know, give away the game plan or anything like that. And we'll see it, you know, the next couple of weeks uh, if they made the right adjustments and all that. But uh, not for not asking the asking the tough questions. We can't force them to answer those questions, and and maybe they shouldn't. Uh, and, and and some of these questions. But uh, as to the development, yeah, the, the develop. It, it looks like USC's had a recent history of the top guy really develops and. Deontay Burnett is another example. He's one in that long line of if you're really, really, uh, you know, talented and gifted, and they'll be able to exploit you to, you know, and, and, and you will be as good as you could possibly be. It's those next level guys that you just wonder what's going on. The difference between this year and last year, if you, I considered Deontay the best receiver on the team last year. But if your next two guys are Juju and Darius, did the ball ever go through either one of their hands in the whole time they played at USC for an interception and, and a pick six ever? Did that ever happen? How many times has that happened? Not pick six necessarily, but how many times has the ball skipped through somebody's hand this year where they just said, oh, gosh, I just didn't quite stop it into the you know defensive back's hand? That never happened last year. No ball went through Darius's hands. No ball went through Juju's hands. That's different. Sam's now throwing the guys. He can hit them in the numbers. He's not sure if it's gonna, you know, if that's gonna be good enough. And I know people say, "Yo, we don't have a, you don't have a deep threat." Well, Vilas was deep. Vilas was open. The ball hit him between the two and the three, <laughs> right through his hands. Didn't do any good. So that's an issue. Big issue. Got to get better. Has to get better. They've got to get better. Uh, they're not right now. And and he's the guy. He's calling the plays and he's their coach. Yeah. Uh, not happening. Here's uh, one from Jared. He said, I've been following you guys since I was 11 years old. Wow, that's awesome, Jared. Still yeah. the best college football analyst out there. Two questions. Uh, do you guys think that the great uh, Jalen Green's starting wide receiver experiment of 2017 has finally come to an end after the disastrous drop turned pick six on Saturday. And two, Jesse Palmer of ESPN was making a big deal out of the six interceptions total for Donald this past Saturday. My response to this is though, uh, with Donald at quarterback, as opposed to during the Kessler tenure, USC runs a greater amount of, uh, their pass patterns into the middle of the field where drops and overthrows can easily become Interceptions. I feel that higher interception totals are just inherent danger with the offensive system we are running nowadays. Wonder about your thoughts. Fight on from Jared. Well, they're an inherent danger if you got guys who just, you know, let the ball skip off their hands. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, don't even, you know, get two hands on the ball. Don't, don't, you know, stop it. I mean, that, that's like the, you know, there aren't that many, you know, unforgivable uh, things you can do in college football. That's darn near near one. If you're a wide receiver, to let that ball skip through uh, to a defensive back on a pass that you should have caught is, uh, I mean, what what do you think? What does that do to the quarterback psyche? I mean, why would you ever throw the ball to that guy again? I mean, that's the part of the problem. 
if you've got a guy out there who, if I'm a quarterback, I say, I can't afford to throw the ball to that guy. He might be open. I might throw the perfect pass, and it's thought it would be a pick six. So now you've limited your own offense because your quarterback, rightly so, can't keep throwing the ball to that guy. So I think that choice almost gets made for you if you respond, you know, correctly. I mean, how do you build up a sense of, okay, I can go back to, I can go back to that. No, you can't. I mean, that was an unbelievable turnaround in that game where USC's got a shutout and trying to get a, you know, uh, another score at the end of the half. And all of a sudden they're on the board with a touchdown. I mean, it's like you couldn't have pumped any more life into, into Texas than that. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a that's a real issue, and they've got to start making some hard hard decisions. And and if they decide we don't have a third wide receiver, well, then your decision's made for you. You go with two wide receivers, and you go with two backs, and one of them is your second best wide receiver on the team, Stephen Carr. I mean, it, you know, you just adjust, and sometimes circumstances give you the right answer. I think USC has been given the right answer now. Do they come up themselves with the right answer? We'll see. We uh, Let's see. Here's one about T. Martin. Uh, it seems a unanimous sentiment that T. Martin is one of the great next, or next great college head coaches, along with being a killer recruiter, and is at risk to move after the season concludes. Given Coach Helton's emerging success and NFL uh, pedigree, what are your thoughts on the possibility he moves to the Sunday League in the next two years, with T assuming the head coaching responsibilities for the Trojans. Alternatively, do you think there's any chance T moves across town to lead the UCLA program if Coach Mora is terminated? Fight on. Mark from Crown City. Uh, see, I don't see Clay, I don't see Clay having any, uh, NFL, uh, you know, at all. I mean, his yeah. dad coached in the NFL, but, uh, the NFL would see, like the last place uh, Clay Elton would ever end up or be interested in. That just it doesn't seem remotely, uh, you know, close to his world. Uh, the Clay, I mean, uh, T. Martin to uh, UCLA, you aren't the first person that have, has said that. And uh, T. likes living out here a lot. Uh, and uh, depending on how this year goes, uh, I don't think that's the farthest uh the, the 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 longest reach uh and like wow that's a crazy idea not i don't think it is actually but uh this year is going to determine everything and i think it's, this year is up in the air and in, in the balance uh i don't know that we know how how they handle this year i mean obviously last year they kept getting better and better and uh you know ended up on a, a you know a real upswing uh this year uh I don't think we know where they're going, yeah. uh, and we're going to find out uh, pretty soon. But uh, but uh, second part of that's interesting. First part, I, I can't see at all Clay in the NFL. It just looks like a total non-match uh, for Clay. Yeah, Clay's not leaving USC unless he's fired. I wouldn't think, but um, yeah, or you know, he just retires when he gets old, like twenty years from now or something. Like I, I don't see him wanting to leave for any particular reason. Um, one last one that kind of has to do with receivers, and we'll move on to some other topics because there was a lot about those, and we still have a ton of questions left. So I'm sorry, we're trying to go through them quick, but you guys have said so many. 
He said, uh, this is Dan, class of 1962. Great win over Texas, which removed some of the sting from the ting non-interception on the last Texas drive in the 2006 Rose Bowl. And that loss, Sam Darnold was fantastic again, under pressure at the end of both halves. Receiving is still a problem because no one besides Burnett and Mitchell are stepping up. My question is, why hasn't Dominic Davis been used as a receiver when it was uh, touted for two years that he was one of the best receivers out of the backfield and he has blazing speed to stretch the field? Is he being misused on defense when there is an obvious need at Split Ed? Your thoughts about personnel are greatly appreciated. Fight on from Dan. Yeah, I don't. I think he was at one time because of his speed, and I don't know that they thought he could really be a running back. I think the alternative was if he's going to stay a back, uh, the thing you do with him is you throw the ball to him. I think that was a case because he was the one guy like that. Uh, uh, that's not the case now. When you have Stephen Carr and, you know, Vavai and Aka Cedric and a much improved Rojo, I mean, you know, that wasn't a bad reception he had at the end of the first half. Uh, they really don't need somebody like that in the back. There's just no place. That's why he's on defense. There's just no place, uh, you know, for him, uh, you know, as an offensive player. I mean, the, the, the deal that they got going now is, they got to figure out how to throw the ball to all of those backs, you know, when they're out there. And, uh, that's, uh, that's the, you know, the, the it's not who they're throwing it to. Uh, the solution is, uh, uh, figuring out how to get it thrown to them more. I mean, when you think about, you know, how many of the, of the great plays in that Texas game, two of them by far, uh, were, you know, uh, passes to, uh, Rojo and, uh, and Steven, uh, the, the jump pass. Uh, that's got to become a staple. I mean, it, 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 it's like, you know, in the Reggie Bush days, you just knew, and the other teams, did, they just didn't know where he was going to line up, where he was going to get the ball, but they knew they were in trouble because very often you had to put a linebacker on him, and you were screwed. And USC, for example, give them credit, they did a great adjustment because they came out on that uh, jump pass to Stephen Carr that uh, Vilas was in the game, and they were going to run that play to Vilas. And Texas immediately knew. This is what USC. There's also an issue. Of, is USC giving away the play? You know, giving away the play calls with their personnel or with their uh, you know formations. I don't know, but Texas immediately knew what they were going to run and called the right defense. That's when USC called timeout, and they changed the. Well, they didn't change the play. They kept the same play. But they had Stephen Carr as the receiver. And Texas didn't adjust to that. They, they didn't think USC was going to run the same play because Stephen Carr was in. So Stephen Carr got matched up with a middle linebacker who couldn't stay with him. And luckily, Sam got the ball off. How he did that, almost can't imagine how he did it. But, uh, uh, but that's the kind of thing they've got to do more of, is get those mismatches get the ball to Stephen Carr in space and just watch him go. I mean, he, he's amazing, and he should not – I mean, everybody's still bummed out that Reggie was on the sideline on that, you know, fourth and two play against Texas in the Rose Bowl. I think USC fans ought to be bummed out anytime Stephen Carr is not in the game, to be honest. Okay, before we jump into our next question, I want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Uh, they've been sponsoring us for the last couple of months. We really appreciate it. 50 years in business. 
here in Southern California and across the country. We had a great event over at the Trader Joe's at the new USC Village. Um, it was a lot of fun. Clay Helton came out and uh, talked to us in front of there. A lot of people came out, gave out these gift bags and stuff. It was very cool. Um, the very first one was actually on Royal Parkway in Pasadena. And uh, like I said, 50 years as of August. And so it was really fun that we had that event there. And they've been a, a really great sponsor for us. My wife and I love going to the location in Hermosa Beach. They just opened one uh, within the last year or so. We go over there all the time, pick up stuff for uh, for dinner. We love to, you know, if we're entertaining, uh, wine and cheese is a, is a favorite. There's a lot of cool uh, cheap wines um, that taste really good. And uh, a lot of cool six packs of beers if you want to try some different stuff. Uh, if you want to do tailgating... I know three USC games in a row. People, have, a lot of people have gone over to the new USC village and picked up tailgating supplies before they head over to campus. So that's a really good uh, option there. They also do everyday shopping. If you want to go to Trader Joe's for like bread, milk, eggs, butter, stuff like that. They have all that, but some really cool stuff for dinner. Lots of great snacks. Um, I was eating the, uh, the Swedish fish. They're not, they're called um, Scandinavian swimmers. So that, that was a favorite of mine as a kid. So, Get a big bag of those. The uh, chocolate cover, the peanut butter cups are awesome. A lot of really cool stuff over at Trader Joe's. So if you haven't checked it out, definitely check it out in your neighborhood. Uh, there should be one somewhere near you. Um, there's the, the one I have in Hermosa Beach is really convenient. I love going there. So uh, and the favorite product for 10 years running is the Mandarin Orange Chicken. I do like getting those for dinner and different stuff. You can kind of heat up a lot of good Indian food, uh, things like that. So good stuff at Trader Joe's. Make sure you go check them out. Let's move on. Let's go. This one's from Mike. He said, which conclusion from the Texas game is more accurate? A, we're a championship caliber team that found a way to win against an inspired opponent that had nothing to lose and just uh, just need to keep winning as we face motivated opponents who view us as their bowl game. B, we're overrated as evidenced by playing to the level of the competition for three quarters against Western Michigan, beating an overrated Stanford team and needing two OTs to barely beat a true freshman quarterback-led Texas. C, Still too early to tell. That's Mike. Yeah, you know, I'd go with all three of them. I mean, I think there's <laughs> elements of all three. Uh, or if you take the elements of the first two, you get the third. Uh, but uh, I think it's to be determined. I think they really, you know, it's up in the air right now. I don't, you know, I think I have, you know, uh, you could dismiss the Western Michigan game, I think, at that point. And you could look at Stanford and say, okay, it's, I mean, I predicted a double-digit win over Stanford, so I wasn't one of those people who think, oh, they're really good. I liked what USC did against Stanford. I just thought, okay, that's what you're supposed to do uh, against a Stanford team like that. Uh, the Texas game uh, baffles me. Uh, first of all, they were better than than you imagined. We had heard, oh, you know, they still have players, they're Texas, blah, blah, blah. And you think, God, look at what they did with, you know, the Maryland game and could they possibly be? Well, you see them up close in person. They, they hit a lot of talent. They have as much talent as anybody USC is going to play the rest of the year. No question about it. USC allowed that little quarterback. I say little. He's not that little probably, but, uh, uh, they let him, uh, do too much. I think he should not have, uh, they still, you know, they got him when they had to most of the time, and they, you know, took the ball away at the end when they really had to. Uh, but I thought they they probably didn't do quite enough to, to take him out of the game. And uh, and then, you know, how many points did they leave on the field? I mean, that, that game could have been over at halftime uh, if, you, uh, if you do what you're supposed to do. That they didn't do that 
I guess a, a pretty good. I mean, I, I don't know that USC will play a better team than that Texas team was. Uh, uh, you know, play better quarterbacks, uh, but I don't know that they'll play a better team the rest of the year in terms of just physicality and uh, you know, big wide receivers, big defensive backs, big offensive and defensive linemen, a great, great, great linebacker. Uh, I'm not sure that you know they'll face anybody more than that. So. Uh, I still don't think we know. I, I think this, this team is, has to, still has to define itself, and these coaches still have to define themselves, and they haven't so far. The Texas game was was disappointing. Let's go to Phil. He said, have you ever seen a game that one team scored on the last play of the first half as time ran out and – Scored on the last play of the game as time ran out and scored on the last play of overtime to win the game. Has that ever happened in college football history? What a fitting way to take revenge on the Longhorns after getting their hopes up with a 40, with 45 seconds to play. Phil and Laguna Niguel. Yeah, those are great points. I don't know. I, I, I don't think I, I don't think I've ever seen that. Uh, but has that ever happened before in college football history? You know, I think that's one of those ones that has a chance to maybe it didn't ever happen before. Uh, it's a possibility. Uh, we're going to have to look that up. Uh, that's a great, great question. But uh, uh, I certainly can't remember. And, uh, you know, you think, well, you know, somewhere, somehow, it must have happened. It might not have. That's a, And you're right. That ha- that tears the heart out of it. If you were trying to torture Texas people and, and trying to say, we're going to make you feel like, you made us feel uh, in the Rose Bowl. That might be the way to do it. I mean, uh, that was uh, it, it, for me. It'll never take away that Rose Bowl because no. that was a third. That was a third straight national championship that no one, I don't think, is ever going to do again. So that took something away from USC that nobody else is ever going to, uh, you know, accomplish. So that this was just a football game. That was. Uh, you know, for the ages, and you never, you'll never get that back. But you know, that was one way to torture Texas fans because they, you know, it, they didn't think they should have been in it. Then they were in it. And then they thought they were going to win it, and then that happened. And that, uh, and, and, and obviously, they had put all their hopes into the programming, program-defining win. At USC, that would have kept Tom Herman seven and zero against ranked teams, and he'd have been able to say, you know, we're this or we're that. He also planned that they'd be unbeaten at that time, and unfortunately, had overlooked uh, the uh, the Maryland game in the opener. And I think that's where it's tough to coach because kids are smart enough to know if you're all summer thinking about USC and if you're planning for USC, kids know that. Well, Maryland must not be any good then. I mean, how, you know, we don't have to worry about Maryland. It's kind of like USC and Western Michigan a little bit. Is that there's just, if you don't have that whole game plan and you're really ready to go and, you know, it's all about this game, kids will pick that up. And that, you know, that, that caught Texas in that opener. So yeah, they were thinking they were coming in 2 and 0. Everything they would be riding on the, on the USC game and they'd be 3 and 0 now. And they'd probably be a top ten team, and that was uh, that was the bet, you know, that Herman made, and not a bad bet, except you know you can't lose that opener to Maryland. 
Let's see. Let's go to Big Nick. Uh, he said, so happy SC won on a last-second field goal. Question is, how special is Sam Darnold to win the game with seconds left to tie uh, at the end of the game and win it for USC? Fight on from Big Nick. Yeah, he is special. I, I, I just re- recall I, I skipped uh, the second part of a question about uh, Jesse Palmer, you know, uh, focusing on Sam's interceptions. And oh, the same yeah, thing, I forgot I think, about that. And then, uh, and then, uh, Paul Feinbaum, I think, has gotten kind of down on, uh, like Sam. And these are the guys that read the stats and say, ooh, he's got six interceptions in three games. And they have no idea how they occurred, what, you know, what was going on. And they're looking for ways to take shots that, you know, if you're a high, if you're a defending Heisman Trophy winner like Lamar Jackson, they're looking for ways to take shots at you. And that's why it's so difficult to repeat. But Sam, because of, of the offseason, the, the way, you know, the response to the Rose Bowl and all that, he's almost been in the position of a returning Heisman winner as the favorite. And so what do they do? The, you know, the smart, smart guys try to take shots at you. And if they read, you know, two more interceptions, well, come on. I mean, to say that, you know, uh, Sam was responsible for the, the ball through Jalen Green's hands that, that became a pick six, and, and you, you mark that in a, you know, the negative for Sam. I mean, he couldn't have thrown a more perfect pass. Uh, that's just ridiculous. But, you know, there are, you know, and, and Jesse Palmer's not, you know, not a very smart guy. So obviously, you know, what would you expect out of, out of him? <laughs> uh, Paul Feinbaum can be a smart guy. Uh, I think he tries to, uh, know too much about too many things, and he, he, Knows he's a smart guy, but there are times he says things that about which he doesn't know enough, and uh, and and looks kind of stupid, and this is one of them. But yeah, Sam is uh, is amazing. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, the jump pass to Stephen Carr might be the play of the year uh, when you consider how much time he had to get that ball. I mean, he threw that ball. Stephen Carr said, for example. Oh, it was a jump pass. I didn't even know he jumped. He said the ball was already <laughs> almost to me. When I looked, I mean, yeah, Sam knew how to throw that ball with just enough loft on it to make sure it got past, uh, you know, the middle linebacker, but to make sure it was still coming down when Steven turned. So he, in that split second where he's jumping in the air and, and, and getting rid of the ball because the linebacker is right in his, you know, grill, uh, that so many good things happen on that play. I mean, that, uh, I I don't know there was another quarterback in America, including the NFL, that could have made that play. I I, I don't think there was or there is, and, and that play alone, it just you can't do anything better than that. And if somebody wants to criticize him because the ball went off uh, one of his receivers for a, you know an interception, they're just they're dumb. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Bob and Calabasas said, my question for Dan Weber involves this spectacular catch in the end zone by Tyler Vaughns that was ruled an incompletion on the field. He says, do you believe it was a catch? And does the rule define a catch as valid and a touchdown the second you catch it in the air inside the end zone? Or must you maintain possession when you land inside the end zone with at least one foot in bounds? And then why was the play not reviewed by replay officials in the booth? Or why didn't Clay, uh, Coach Helton insist on a review? Thanks, Bob and Calabasas. Yeah, we were blocked out, and then I didn't see a replay good enough. And I and, I, and maybe you know there other people have seen other replays, uh, but uh, the official was on the side where the ball was. We were screened out by uh, Tyler's uh, body, uh, 
uh, officials certainly seem to indicate that there was no doubt in his mind that the ball came loose. Uh, the rule is in the end zone, uh, you can't make a catch in the end zone in the air. You have to go to the ground and you have to control the ball all the way to and basically through, you know, the time you're, you know, collected on the ground. And if you lose the ball at any point in that time, you know, whether you land in the end zone, whether you, you know, have your feet in the end zone, but your, your body lands outside the end zone, doesn't matter. You have to control the ball all the way to the ground and, and, and the total finish of the play. If the ball comes loose at any point, it's different, uh, from, uh, catching the ball in the end zone is different from catching it on the field of play. Uh, on the field of play, you can catch it in the air, uh, and then lose it, uh, once you go out of bounds, let's say. In the end zone, you can't. In the end zone, you must control it all the way to the very end of the play. And if you don't, it's not a catch. So I didn't, I don't know why there wasn't replay unless it was so obvious on the other side. It, it certainly wasn't obvious to us because, you know, we saw what we saw with the catch and then we saw what we saw when we did see the ball. And so we didn't, you know, from our side and our angles, we didn't see any movement or any loss of control. Uh, but, you know, the, the official couldn't have been in better position and he couldn't have been more definitive uh, about it. So, uh, and that the USC didn't ask for a replay, you know, and it was to their side. So, uh, I'm hoping that's the reason and it wasn't just, uh, you know, Pac 12 officials being Pac 12 officials <laughs> and not doing the replay. You know, Dan and I were talking with Matthew McConaughey about that in the end. Of the, <laughs> it was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I, and none of us could see it. That was yeah. the problem. We were totally screened out uh, from with Tyler's body. So we're all looking like, well, was it? Was it? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, we, we kind of thought there'd be replay. And there wasn't replay. So we were kind of, well, I guess, I don't know. Um, yeah, I haven't even gotten and watched the uh the uh, you know the replay yet or the you know I taped the the, the uh, game yeah, I haven't got a too. chance to watch it again but I, I tweeted it out and people were like yeah it was clear it came out from the other side or whatever so most at least most people thought that some people still thought it was a catch but uh, Tyler thought it was a catch when we talked to him so you know uh, and I do think people can think okay he caught it but you have to control it all the way it's it's a different rule in the end zone than it is on the field so. Yeah. That might have been, like say, if you were going for a first down and, you know, you, you, they may have allowed you to, you know, uh, count that as a catch. Again, we didn't see the replay, so we don't know how much loss of control was. But uh, you can control the ball in the air and get credit for that and, and for, you know, ball placement and all the other things uh, on the field of play. You do that in the end zone, it, it's not good enough. You have to control the ball all the way through the play till you hit the ground, you know, almost till you get up. Uh, and if any point of that, any point in time, the ball gets loose, uh, uh, then it's not a catch. It's not a touchdown. So it's a different rule. All right. Dennison Lancaster said, in my opinion, it seemed like we got outcoached on both sides of the ball. Our offense could not run or figure out where the blitz was coming from, and our defense could not stop the pass or sack the quarterback after the second half. After the second half? Yeah, I mean, that, that means the whole game they were doing well. Uh, would, love, <laughs> would love to hear your thoughts on the coordinators. Love the show and fight on. 
Yeah, I, I, it's hard to be critical of the defense, Dan. I mean, they didn't give yeah. up the touchdown until like the last minute of regulation. Yeah, I mean, basically, uh, uh, they've got a shutout in the first half. Uh, they've given up three points, uh, the defense, you know, in regulation. So uh, until, you know, that last drive. Did they get tired on that last drive? Yeah. Do they need to figure out, uh, you know, how to, how to bring a little more pressure? Yeah. Do the, you know, are the defensive backs, uh, you know, I didn't think going into the season they'd have some issues. Uh, in, in terms of size and physicality, but it's starting to look like they do. Uh, it just seemed like, uh, now, again, this is where Texas, you're not going to see any wide receiver group like Texas. I mean, that was something you knew going into the game, that they have big, strong size. And, and I'll say this, people make great plays against USC. I mean, some of those acrobatic catches in the air were just, were amazing. Now they had a couple where guys are running free as well. I mean, you just can't. I mean, you're man to man, and the game's on the line. You cannot fall down eight yards from the you know receiver for the game winning touchdown and be lying there in the end zone. You just can't do that. Uh, why USC had more guys on the ground falling down? I don't know. That that's a that's kind of a mystery. Uh, that the Texas kids didn't seem to be uh, doing as much falling <laughs> as the as the USC kids. I don't know what I don't know what that's all about. But uh, uh, but I think they hung in there, you know, defensively. I, I really do. Uh, especially you consider they're playing without Rasheem Green and, uh, and and Port Augustine. So I thought the I thought the, the defensive effort that was a winning effort on defense. I think. Um, uh, not so much on offense. Yeah. And, uh, we got, so Earl of West LA props to Earl because he sent to like a really long multiple point question. I asked him to revise it and he sent it back very simply. He said, game ball to Christian Rector, six tackles, two and a half for loss, one and a half sacks, and the strip that won the game. What do you think? That's from Earl in West LA. Yeah. I think, uh, when, when people say, uh, uh, this team needs more, uh, uh, you know, a deeper rotation on defense. I think all I have to say is Christian Rector, you know. I mean, kid came in, he played three different positions. I mean, that's, uh, uh, he's a good reason. And I, I do think Clay got that answer right when we asked him on Sunday night. Uh, and it was one of those, oh my gosh, can USC go forward? There's so many, you know, injuries. Oh my, oh, oh. And Clay did say correctly, well, some of those guys that stepped in look pretty good. You know, I mean, uh, Levi Jones gets in for one play when they're popping, uh, you know, Cameron Smith's dislocated finger back into place. And he practically runs that quarterback up into the stand. I mean, that's his only play. But, uh, you know, maybe he needs to play more. Uh, you know, is there a, a complexity issue on defense that doesn't allow them to, you know, play, uh, Connor Murphy or Ola Will, you know, Wally Batiku? A single play against Stanford, not a play, neither one of them. And now Connor's going to have to be your starter, maybe, you know, for how long? It would have been nice to get him some plays against Stanford or get him more plays against Western Michigan. Uh, that's a real issue. That's a coaching issue. They got to figure it out. They got to get it done. There are kids sitting on that bench, like Christian Rector, who need to be in the game and they need more of a rotation. And if you can't teach them your defense so that you trust them. 
then simplify your defense so that you can trust them because you can't win games 12 straight, 12 straight weeks, no buys, with guys sitting on the bench. And they said, we're going to have more rotation. We got we, we know the defense now. This is the second year. Well, do it then. Don't just say it. <laughs> do it. It's funny. Paul in Santa Clarita, was, that was the next question I was going to read you. He said, hello, Dan. Levi Jones substituted in for Cam Smith for one play and had an immediate impact. How can... Uh, uh, CP, oh, how can Clancy Pendergast utilize him more? Ideally, playing him alongside Cam. Thanks, Paul and Santa Clarita. Actually, tweeted about this. So he came in that one play and pressured uh, Sam Ellington, who they were high school teammates in uh, in yeah. Austin, Texas. So that was kind of funny. He got one play in there and and had an impact. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just think you know you got to find a way. The, if you're going to recruit those kinds of kids, you've got to get them in the game. It's just that simple. You have to figure out a way. Uh, I mean, here's a kid, you know, he'll be able to live on that, you know, the Austin, Texas kid, and has an impact, you know, in his one play, you know, as a freshman. But I think the, the, the key right now is getting everybody who can, you know, contribute in, you know, into a position where they can contribute. We're talking wide receivers, defensive backs. I mean, you know, we've got talented guys that, could fill in in that secondary and they're not getting on the field. And for whatever reason, the, 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 you know, you've got to come on. The coaches really have to get, get their act together at this point and get those guys in the game. And it's, uh, especially the guys that have been here a full year and they're in their second year. I mean, it's just no excuse, uh, you know, for that. And you got to figure out a way to, you know, with the kind of recruiting you're you're going to try to do, you got to figure out a way to get some of those freshmen on the field. I mean, you know, Texas, how how good a job did that freshman for Texas do when you consider everything? I mean, not the most talented kid in the world, not the fastest, not the biggest, doesn't have the biggest arm and what have you. He kept him in the game. He you know hit a lot of pressure and uh, and he just kept performing. And how much better is he now? How much more capable is he? playing against, say, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State now after the USC game. If they'd have, you know, babied him and, you know, brought in the Wildcat, you know, quarterback herd and just tried to, you know, run the ball and all that, they wouldn't be as good as they are. So I think Texas got a lot out of that game, and I think USC has to figure out how do how do they get more out of out of games? How do they get more out of Connor Murphy and Oluwala Batuko and Levi Jones and, you know, Jordan Iosefa, I think, got a got a pretty good shot, and I think that was important for him. But they just got to figure out uh, how to get those young guys uh, able to contribute. Uh, this is from Jay and Yukaipa along the same lines. He said, I was listening to uh, Reign of Troy. He said, rot. Uh, Reign of Troy. They were discussing questions regarding Porter Gustin's lack of productivity at the predator position. Michael and Alicia contend that the lack of production stems from the complicated nature of the predator position. Do you and Dan feel that to be the case? Fight on and keep up the good work, Jay and Yukaipa. First of all, those guys don't know what the hell they're talking about. They're idiots over there. Why would you listen to another? U- I'm just kidding. We love them. Uh, shout out to the Rod. Every, every time we mention them, Michael or, or Lisa come up to me. Hey, thanks for the shout out. I'm like, they talk about us all the time. They're 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 cool people. So, but uh, what are your thoughts on the predator position, Dan? Well, you know, I don't know. You know, just the predator. I just think there is a complexity issue on the defense. I, I don't think there's any question. Uh, and and there may be, you know. 
obviously it wasn't so much an issue uh, Saturday night uh, with Connor, you know, I mean, excuse me, with uh, Porter. Uh, had four tackles in the first half, uh, two for, you know, two sacks. Uh, he certainly looked like uh, that wasn't an issue limiting him. I mean, and he's doing it on one on one foot, for God's sakes. I mean, that's just amazing. Uh, and, and I don't know how early he uh, he strained his bicep. But uh, it didn't look – I don't think the complexity on defense was quite the problem, uh, uh, you know, Obviously, against Stanford, when you've got 10 guys going one way, one guy goes the wrong way, and they get a 75-yard touchdown, that's a problem. Or the, you know, two years, last year against Stanford, when you give them two 56-yard touchdowns with, with, you know, busts and all that. I do think there has been something of a complexity issue. I think that's, uh, you know, I don't know that you can totally coach an NFL game where you've got guys that have been playing football, you know, uh, past college for you know ten years, and you got them forty hours a week, and expect college kids who you've got twenty hours a week, and they're just you know out of high school uh, to be able to do the same thing. Uh, so, uh, if it were me, I would try to simplify the whole defense, uh, and I wouldn't use complexity uh, as a reason to keep somebody on the bench who's got talent and who can contribute. And I'd be more into figuring out how do I get the defense to a place where those guys can contribute and know what they're doing than to say, no, we're going to keep it as complex as possible. And if they don't learn how to play it for a couple of years, too bad. They're just going to sit. Uh-uh, that doesn't work. Uh, and it's certainly not going to work this year with, uh, you know, as much as they talk about 12 straight games, no buys. Uh, they've got to do something about that. And one of the ways you can do that is getting more guys on the field. And uh, that's up to the coaches, and that's on them. And, uh, you know, give those guys a chance. Now, if they don't respond, then not necess- you know, then that's not on the coaches. But the coaches have to try to get them to respond as well as to get them to understand what they're doing. And uh, uh, I- I'd like to see more of that. Jarrett wrote in and said, first of all, bravo, uh, to the defense for the Texas game. I'm riding in the car on the way home from the, that thriller. My question is, don't, yeah, don't text a driver, email and drive, by the way. Yeah. Uh, where is Achille Ross? Man, he spelled Achille like the weirdest way, like Y-I-K-I-L-I-E-S. Like there's, there's like five extra letters in his first name. Uh, sorry to call you out there, Jared, but that was just kind of funny. It was really long. For me, Eamon Marshall was one of the most exciting recruits SC has ever landed. It hurts to say, but personally, he hasn't developed into the lockdown corner as advertised. In fact, quite the opposite, reminiscent of Torin Harris at this point. Uh, so where is the star of fall camp? Uh, he's talking about Akili Ross. Uh, you know, I think it's a trust issue. I think it's, uh, you know, if you, if you, uh, you know, have, are subject to some bus in practice and it's hard to, you know, argue with that. I mean, because you see some of the, how, how, uh, costly it is when they have a bust in coverage. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, it's just, he's got all the physical tools. He certainly came in with the, uh, you know, the, the attitude that he wanted badly, badly to play. And you would like to be able to figure out a way to get him on the field. I, I, I mean, I'd like to see guys in, in games, 
And then you could say, okay, well, they haven't had a situation. You know, Western Michigan turned out to be such a close game, they weren't going to trust anybody. Uh, Stanford, well, that was Stanford. And who knew it was going to be like that? And then Texas, you know, no opportunity. Uh, you know, last year when they got into the schedule where it was a little more manageable, you know, they were able to get more guys on the field and, and get more guys comfortable and being out there. Will that be the case? You know, they got you know two road games against unbeaten. Uh, who would have thought Cal and unbeaten Washington State? Uh, so is that the opportunity? I don't know. Uh, I just think you know this is this is why they pay the coaches big bucks is to you know figure out how to get those guys on the field and contributing. And uh, Kelly Ross would be one of the first guys at the head of the line that you'd like to see. Uh, on the field, figure out how to get him to, uh, you know, contribute with his, uh, you know, athletic ability. Let's go Frankie in Vegas. It's just Frank. I don't know why I put the E in the end. Sorry, Frank. Um, he said in Dan's news notes and numbers, you showed USC had zero punt return yards against Texas and only 11 total yards for the four punts in three games. By the way, uh, pac12.com shows three punts for 15 yards in 2017. Wonder which game they watched. Uh, what about the other way? How many punts has USC made? And what's the total number of yards on the returns? Punt coverage doesn't appear to be a strength either. What happened this year, Frank, in uh, Vegas? Well, as far, you know, as far as punt returns, what happened was uh, Dory Jackson's in Tennessee. Uh, you know, and punt returns are a lot, a lot of what you do on punt returns is do you have a good punt returner or not? I mean, there's some things you can coach, but an awful lot of what happens in punt return is the ability to catch the ball, the ability to just make that first cut, the ability to just fearlessly know that you're going to beat that first guy and you're going to catch the ball with him coming down on you and all that. Now, there are some coachable things. You know, if you're a Jenny Harris and you line up 55 yards deep against the guy, who's already kicked one just 27 yards, I got a question. What the heck's going on? I mean, are you, do you just not know the distances? Uh, but when you got to come running up every single time to try to catch the ball, that makes it tough because uh, you're running, they're running, you're looking at them, you're looking at the ball. Uh, you're thinking, damn, if I just catch it and fall down, I'm doing good here. Well, that's what they're doing, catching it and fall down. I mean, that, you know, there was an improvement. It wasn't, you know, they didn't let the ball bounce, you know, down to the, you know, one-yard line every time. Uh, but um, they haven't found that right guy. And, and I'm not sure when I look at this team, I mean, you know, you can say Stephen Carr and Vilas Jones look like uh, the right guys on kickoff return. I don't think there's any question. But the punt return, boy, I, I just don't see that guy. I mean, if I wanted to say, for sure, catch it. For sure, handle it properly. You put Deontay Burnett back. Uh, and if you knew he would never try to return it and you wouldn't have to worry about him getting hurt, uh, maybe you'd do that. Uh, but uh, otherwise, uh, they're scrambling as far as trying to find somebody that can return a punt. Uh, I don't I don't have any good thoughts as to who that, who that person might be. Maybe we haven't seen enough of Greg Johnson uh, I haven't seen enough of him on the field either. I, I, I certainly like the looks of, of that freshman uh, athletically, 
and and you know in terms of quickness and strength and all that those are the guys i'd like to see gearing up and just seeing you know what do you got there but there just seems to be a little hesitancy about these uh you know it might be redundant to call them young freshmen but there does seem to be a hesitancy uh right now and is this uh you know is that part of you're you're ranked you expect to go to the you know win the pac-12 and go to the playoffs and all that are you coaching more to not lose uh than to uh you know just to be as good as you could be i don't know but but uh uh they need to find somebody uh uh as, as a punt return guy and that hasn't that hasn't happened and uh you know let's it's going to be interesting to see what happens this week. Uh, there are a lot of places where you ought to see some movement, I would think, in terms of wide receivers, in terms of return game, uh, in terms of the secondary. There ought to be some kind of movement, and we'll we'll be intensely watching that this week. Um, Stephen Poway had the same kind of question about the punt returns you just talked about, um, and he said he – uh, talk about Reed Budrovich if he should be offered a scholarship. Um, he wanted to know, so he, he, uh, he had a question about Coach Harvey Hyde about if he should be offered a scholarship. Um, but he wanted to know if, you know, if there's scholarships available, why wouldn't you offer uh, the walk on kicker and punter who are currently starting playing critical roles on the team? Uh, give them a scholarship. And then a few years ago when USC made a policy to honor football scholarships, uh, for four years, does that apply to walk-ons too? Fight on from Steve and Poway. Well, I think what they were trying to do with the walk-ons is give a walk-on a scholarship who is going to graduate so that you would get the benefit of the graduation, uh, you know, for the APR rankings. You would also be limited that you were just giving them for that year. Uh, I do think the commitment though, if you give an underclassman walk-on a scholarship, I think it still applies to him for the years that he's on the team. That's my understanding. I don't know that for absolute certain. I don't know that we've ever asked that question. Uh, the other part of that is, uh, I think they still have one scholarship, but what I was told, and, and Ryan, you may, you keep track of, of the scholarship, you know, more than I do. I, we think they were at 84. Uh, but, what I was told is that because of the Title IX issues where you have to basically have as many, uh, you know, scholarships, uh, for women as men, that not only do you have to have one available in football, but you also then would have to, uh, bump up your women's scholarships too so that you would be doing a two scholarship deal. Uh, that's what I was told. Uh, I don't know that that's absolutely, you know, the case, but that that is also a holdup is that you'd have to award another scholarship, uh, you know, on the women's side of the athletic program. So, um, yeah, I mean, they're in a tough position because the two scholarship kids, you know, one got, one got beat out as a place kicker, Michael Brown, but he was going to kick off. Although I'm not sure that there was any difference whatsoever in terms of the kickoff, uh, with Chase McGrath. But you had, uh, then Reed Budrowitz beats out, uh, you know, Chris Tilby. So now you've got your two scholarship kickers not kicking and your two walk-ons kicking. And, um, that's kind of awkward in terms of, you know, I mean, who's more important than 
either one of those kids now. I mean, Reed Buderitz is just in money. I mean, 46-plus yards per punt, and he's placing it away where, you know, you can't return it. He's just he's been amazing. And then McGrath, you know, with what he did against Texas, I mean, uh, kind of an awkward position to not have those guys uh, able to be scholarship. Um, and I know when I asked Clay about that, Last Thursday, he was like, you know, we wish we could. We wish we could, and he's not the only one. But uh, I think they'll have to, if they want to keep Reed for next year, he's going to graduate this year, but he could stay as a as a grad student. But he said, you know, he's got a, he's getting a good degree in, uh, in a real estate and development and business administration, and that he would have to take a job uh, uh, if he doesn't get a scholarship. So, if he stays for another year, which you know you would sure think you'd want you'd want him, uh, they're going to have to scholarship him. Yeah, that you know we haven't kept track as closely as we used to because you know the sanctions are over and stuff, and we moved systems. Like we kind of lost that sheet. I have to I can recreate it, but like two four seven has like a version of it, but it doesn't show you like all the totals and stuff like that. I can kind of create that again, but uh, it just the need really hasn't you know kind of been there for that, but the for me, it's like, yeah, I, th- I think it's harder to give out walk-ons on the, you know, special team scholarships when you already have other kickers and punters on scholarships. So to me, it's more about why give them ones out of the gate, like let them come in as walk-ons and compete, and then whoever is the best, give them a scholarship. I-, I think that's probably a better way to do it. Well, you know, and I'll give them credit for this. They've got Wyatt Schmidt on scholarship, and he absolutely deserves one. He has been money as a holder. I mean, he is just, you know, he was there for the, uh, you know, uh, Rose Bowl and getting that converted. And he was there just like money the other night. And I, I don't think we, and, you know, he's the, he's the guy who gets Jake Olson on the field and gets lined up and all that. I mean, he does so many good things for this program that, uh, you know, that might be one of those underrated places where you've got somebody that just contributes more than you'll ever know. Uh, and, and you probably got a scholarship, your long snapper. And they were lucky they got a, had a walk on before Zach Smith, who earned one and was perfect for four straight years. Uh, haven't quite been, I mean, for example, Reed, uh, I mean, excuse me, Wyatt Schmidt, you know, got a ball on the bounce for the uh, first extra point and just made it. Look, you know, without any problems, just scooped it up, lined it up, uh, all, you know, the kind of things that, you know, that could have cost them, uh, you know, the ability to tie the game. Uh, so, uh, you know, every one of those little things is, is so important and it's wonderful to be able to give those kids scholarships and, uh, and you wish you could, uh, you know, for both of the kickers right now. Uh, very unusual, as important as they are. To not be on scholarship. Yeah. Uh, okay. We still got a few more. We're over the hour marks. We'll try to run through these quickly as we can. Thomas said, excited to be three and zero. Western Michigan and Texas were ugly games, but a win is a win. In three weeks, I'm not sure what this team is. The performance from week to week has been so different. I had, I have no doubt that under Sark or Lane's leadership, USC would have lost to either Texas or probably to Western Michigan. So that being said, should USC fans be more encouraged that the team grinded out a win when it played horribly? 
Um, or should we be more scared and concerned that the team hasn't played to its potential twice in the first three weeks? Thanks and fight on from Thomas. Both. <laughs> both. I mean, it's uh, both. I think, uh, yeah, I don't think it's an either or. I think, uh, they did grind it out. They did show the, they didn't quit. They did show the poise and they did not play as well as they should have played in two out of three games. So, yeah, I think you got you got both sides of the equation right now, and there's, you know, obviously three and zero is way better than the alternative, but uh, this season is to be determined. I mean, they're not right now in the same league as as Alabama and Clemson for sure of the ones you look at. I'm not I'm not sure about, you know, Oklahoma was the you know beating Ohio State was that a good win or not? I don't know. Uh, you, you, you know, I'm not sure about the Big Ten at all now, the more I look at it. Uh, and Oklahoma State, you know, some of those, you know, so there are people ahead of USC that you really don't know. I mean, the, the, the three teams that Penn State played are just so bad, you can't even talk about it. So, but they're not with those top elite couple of teams right now. They're just not as solid, uh, in terms of coaching and, and just showing up ready to play, you know, every game. And, uh, we'll see. Can they get to that point? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, they, they show some things that say, well, they're never out of it. Who knows? They've got a, you know, they got a puncher's chance if they play anybody. And that may be true, but, uh, they're not solid. They're not as solid as, uh, uh, as you'd like to see them. Let's go to the G. He says, what do you make of USC having seven serious injuries uh, Saturday and Texas only one? Is there a Division One school with more injured players currently than USC? This can't be random. Does Texas rotate more? Are they more physical, i.e. they beat us up? Is this conditioning question? Uh, well, I'm sorry. That's from the Bear Secutor. And then the G said, with the rash of injuries suffered by several Trojan players over the first three games, do you get a sense that Pendergast will begin to rotate more often? in an effort to preserve those that he has left and keep uh, players fresh during the game. Thanks for fight on from the G. Well, I think the injuries are over. But so, I mean, to say that USC had seven serious injuries and Texas had one, that's like, uh, you know, Texas had their all-American offensive lineman is probably gone for the year with surgery. That injury alone probably cancels out all of USC's injuries. And we have no idea. How many bumps and bruises? Uh, I think the uh, the injury stuff was overplayed a little, a little bit. That was more like a an NFL game. And if you look at an NFL injury report, you know, I mean, to be honest, USC's depth chart for the Cal game is the exact same depth chart as it was for the Texas game. So when you have serious injuries, your depth chart changes from week to week. Uh, and, you know, I think, I think we, we tend to overplay, you know, the injuries. I mean, uh, my guess is, you know, Port Augustine probably not coming back, uh, this week. That would be, you know, I mean, uh, whether he should have played last week is, is another question. But, um, but the idea that, you know, I mean, I think I certainly felt like, uh, him playing on that toe, uh, against Texas. I would have bet almost anything I had that he wasn't going to make it for the second half, that, that the way he plays 
and the way the injury was and the, how recent it was, he wasn't coming back. So that was kind of a self-inflicted, you know, injury. Now, whether these, uh, you know, uh, thigh contusion, little, you know, groin pull, uh, MCL, those kinds of things, whether that, that's anything more than just the, the, the kinds of, you know, bumps and bruises you're going to get in a physical game like Texas, but to say that, oh, gosh, they must be tougher or they must be stronger or they must be better conditioned or they must be than we were, we have no idea what those kinds of same kinds of injuries were for Texas. I, I would think that USC gave at least as much as it, as it got in that game. Uh, I think the Texas kids were just as, uh, you know, pounded, you know, around in that game as the USC kids were. So, uh, so we'll see. I mean, we'll see how, you know, how serious quote unquote those injuries are as this week develops. I mean, today's a big day in terms of seeing, seeing them at practice and seeing what they look like, you know, and we're talking about guys like, you know, Chenna and Mitchell and uh, Rojo and those kinds of people. Should that mean more, you know, uh, uh, rotation on defense? Absolutely. I mean, for example, uh, just another way of looking at it, when there was no time left and you needed a score, they ended up throwing the ball. Circumstances dictated what USC did in that Texas game, and they got the right answer. I think here, circumstances ought to be dictating what they do in terms of uh, player personnel rotation, and hopefully they get the right answer. And the Cal game's a, you know, a good place to start. And the fact that it, it's a little more challenging than you would have thought at the beginning of the year, uh, probably uh, even better. Uh, but I think they got to go into the Cal game thinking, we're going to play a lot of people. And then they got to take that and say we're going to build on that, at, you know, at uh, Washington State. But uh, but I'm not somebody that's just saying, oh gosh, USC came out of that game in much worse shape than Texas. If I'm I'm guessing Texas would take the injuries USC had and trade them, uh, you know, their All-American tackle Connor Williams. If if, if you ask Texas. Um. All right. Let's see. We got uh, T Dog has a question. Um, he said, thanks for considering my question. How much of these early season struggles have to do with Clay Helton's inexperience as a coach? After listening to an interview with Nico Fala, he said that USC's offense never seen these blitz packages from Texas's film in which they displayed on Saturday. Uh, this is the second time USC seemed unprepared for a team, yet we're unable to pull, yet we were able to pull out a win in the clutch. Uh, in the Western Michigan game, USC prepared for two to three potential offenses. Instead, they ran the ball effectively, which it seemed that we were not prepared for, uh, this offense. And for Stanford, we knew what was coming and SC decisively beat them down. I think Coach Helton is a genuine guy, surprisingly a great recruiter and is a, uh, I'm sorry, is the current, uh, I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, he's currently the admiral of an ex- extremely talented team. Uh, but is he effectively preparing this team for combat on game day? Can you understand, help me understand what's going on here? That's from T-Dog. Yeah, I, I think the Western Michigan game, I'm, I'm not counting that one. I think, uh, I think they probably had too much time on their hands over the summer and they did too much thinking. And maybe that is, you know, the head coach's, uh, slight inexperience. And they said, well, this guy's from Syracuse and this guy's from Purdue and this guy's from Indiana. Let's, uh, Let's get ready for whatever you want to. No, 
they needed to get ready for Western Michigan had eight starters back on offense and they had the, all the running backs. Uh, you had to get ready for that. And so that was a little bit of a, uh, you know, a glitch, I think. And, uh, and, and that would go to the head coach, I think, at that point. And then the decision not to adjust all that much during the game, I think, was as much of saying, heck with this, we're going to win this way. We're not going to show Stanford anything. Uh, because they're going to be running the ball similarly and we're not going to. And, and, and that obviously worked for, that was a good decision at that point, I think, with the rally, get scored 28 points in the final quarter. And it was a good decision for Stanford. Okay. As far as Texas, to say that we weren't prepared when they did stuff that they hadn't ever done before and were not on film and Texas clearly was not going to show you anything that they were going to do for USC. It cost them, you know, probably cost them the Maryland game. But to say that, wow, we weren't prepared for stuff that they had never shown they were going to do, I don't think that's a, that's a, a coaching mistake at that point. What is a coaching mistake is not adjusting to it when you now, okay, this is what they're going to do, and they're going to sell out and stop the run. That's a coaching mistake if you say, you're going to give us this, we're going to take it. Instead of saying, no, we got to be balanced and we got to, you know, we got to keep running our stuff. No, you don't. Uh, so that, that's where I think the mistake comes in, in that uh, ability to adjust. And is it one of those things where you say, uh, I'm going to, you know, give our offensive play callers the uh, ability to really show what they can do and I won't take it out of their hand? Maybe. Is that being, you know, Mr. Nice Guy instead of saying, look, I'm the head coach and you guys, this is ridiculous. We're not going to keep doing this. Uh, and there may be a time. Now, Pete Carroll used to do that, and he, he often, as the defensive coach that he was, got him into more trouble by taking over the offensive play calling or on occasion. Then, uh, you know, so that's not always the answer. But uh, but maybe, you know, the the wanting to really give the offensive play callers a chance to figure their way out of it uh, might at times, maybe it pays off in the long run, but it probably didn't exactly pay off in the Texas game other than at the very, 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 very end. And they, they certainly had the right plays and reactions dialed up at the end of the half and at the end of the second half and, you know, in overtime. So, you know, uh, kind of a mixed bag, but, uh, but yeah, there are some, there's, there may be some issues, but I don't think it was, oh wait, we didn't know what Texas was going to do. Other than spying on Texas's practices, uh, I'm not sure if a team's willing to change everything they're doing on defense. That's a big risk. I mean, for Texas to do that, uh, they pulled it off, but, uh, it's, it, I don't know that you can blame the coaches for not knowing that they're going to, do that not many teams do we got uh international question michael in toronto he said uh great job as usual these podcasts are part of my weekly ritual when marlon tui pelotu was recruited a video of his high school wrestling match was posted given his progress to date i would think that cross training was helpful in expanding his kill his skill set in past years adori rojo dominic davis did track in the offseason uh, you could teach speed to naturally fast athletes. My question is cross training, uh, being done with various position groups. If so, what type of training is being done? And if not, why not? 
Additionally, cross-training would seem to provide a mental break of the 24-7, 365-day football, especially for established starters. And a fun side note, Warren Sapp did a great job on Dancing with the Stars for a big man. He has quick feet. Maybe our offensive-defensive line can take up dancing to develop the quick feet as well as to how to properly dance with women. Uh, Michael in Toronto. Hey, okay, Michael. Uh, let's see. Uh, they are doing more uh, uh, kinds of different training in the summer, for example. It's more position group, uh, and they are combining the conditioning and the movement skills, but they're trying to make those position, uh, you know, completely position related. And I know when they do the in- indoor work uh, and, and even the weightlifting, they're really gearing the other kinds of things they do outside of football to the very, very specific position related. It's not exactly cross-training, uh, but I did see that video of, uh, of Marlon in, 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 in the high school wrestling and loved what you saw with his, uh, you know, his low base and his balance and his quickness and explosiveness and all that. That's one of those things that uh, you really like. I know this, more coaches, I think Urban Meyer has pushed this hard uh, at Ohio State, are recruiting kids who played other sports. And I know at Ohio State it's like 55 or 60 of their guys played other sports in high school. And I think that's a really good thing. And I think USC, one of the things USC is doing, not exactly cross-training, but they do have guys, uh, more guys at more positions than I think you normally see. And, and they like that. Uh, and I, I would agree that, that that's a good way to go. But, uh, I don't know if you run out of time in terms of doing a lot of really different, you know, cross training, the dancing and all that kind of things. Uh, I mean, I don't think you could do too much to get their feet quick, uh, to be honest. And you're right about Warren Sapp. Uh, and if that would be, if you do one thing, I mean, I think they work a lot with their hands, especially the D line guys. I don't disagree with the feet. I think the feet are, are so important, and, you know, I don't know that you can do too much to, to try to get their feet quick. Uh, but uh, but I do think they, you know, with the, the limitation of 20 hours a week, and, uh, you know, they're really much more strict about that now than they used to be. Uh, and uh, you probably kind of run out of time. Uh, but... And the more I think they could do that, the better. Yeah, if you heard uh, Pete Carroll was on with uh, Sam Darnold on the, the Season of Sam podcast, and he talked about it was more on the recruiting side, I think, where like for offensive linemen, like, oh, this guy threw the discus or the shot put, and cut, you know, and like, oh, okay. So, I mean, then they, they know about his footwork or if you play basketball. And Pete Carroll would ask, like, you know, when he's drafting guys, like, you know, what other sports did you play? Was your team any good? What position did you play? He's like, yeah, if you talk to a baseball player and he's in, uh, you know, little league or whatever, one of the leagues and he's playing right field, you're like, okay, well, if he's playing shortstop and he's the pitcher or is like, there's, you know, Pete Carroll would get gain information from the other sports that you would play. So he liked it. But like Dan said, there's just not enough time to do it when you're in college. Like it's more about what were you doing before you got there? Well, I mean, I think, uh, Sam was a very good basketball player. I did yeah. get to see him play a, a decent amount. Uh, Cody Kessler was a good, really good basketball player. Uh, Sam was apparently a really good baseball player until 
whatever the coach did, and, you know, <laughs> some dumb thing. I can't remember exactly the details of it, but uh, he was uh, he wasn't Augustine. dedicated. So he wasn't. Yeah, it was like uh, he wasn't dedicated oh. to the team because he was playing basketball, and they wouldn't put there him in the go. game. And then he put him in one game, and he had like three home runs, and then they like pitch it for him at the end. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, he's the only one on the whole team that had a home run, and he hadn't played all year. It was like some ridiculous thing. So he quit baseball after that. Right. I mean, yeah, people wanted you to just play my sport. Don't play the other sports. And, and I do think that's a good – hey, Porter Gustin, he's a high school quarterback, for God's sakes, and a, and a 95-mile-hour, you know, fastball, uh, you know, and a, and a big-time rebounder and all that kind of stuff. I mean, uh, you know, I think that's where you make that call, and you hope hope you get kids that can do all those kinds of things. I'm I'm amazed when they ever you know start throwing the ball around, and you watch Porter Gustin. I mean, he's you know with the muscles on top of the muscles, he can throw. He's got this fluidity to throw you know a football. It's stunning. I mean, it's just you just haven't seen anybody quite like it. Uh, he's he's pretty amazing. Although I asked him the other night, I said, you don't have a 95-mile-an-hour fastball now, do you? He said, no, I don't, I don't think so. Because uh, we were asking him about that bicep thing, and he said, well, and there was some hope because he, uh, he said, if I hold it one way, it hurts. But he said, other way, if I hold it this way or I hold it that way, I'm okay. So it didn't sound like it was, you know, one of those bicep tears where – we're going to need surgery and all that, but uh, but he said he's lost his 95 mile an hour fastball for oh. for the time being. All right, we got two more. Uh, I know this is a long one, but you know we're trying. We got to just about all of them, so it's good. Uh, this is another. This is Earl. I've noticed the evaluation. I'm sorry, the evolution of shoulder pads from film of the early days when shoulder pads were nearly non-existent to the 60s and beyond, as pads got bigger and bigger. In the current century, the pads have gotten smaller again. What has changed that has made them smaller, uh, the smaller pads safer? Well, I think the materials are different. Uh, uh, they're lighter and they're more protective. Uh, you don't need as much uh, uh, material there. You know, you don't need the, the shells don't have to be quite as thick. And the, uh, the underlying, uh, you know, padding is just much more compact. And, and you can get just as much protection out of, out of thinner pads than you could in the past. You had to build them up in the past. Uh, and I think, you know, it obviously makes it a lot easier for the skill guys. And, uh, you know, even, you know, the bigger those pads, when you see those films of like Anthony Davis or one of those guys and you realize, man, those guys were, were, were running with, with pads bigger than any linemen were now. Uh, that, uh, and I think they have, they have better ways of securing them. And that better under, uh, you know, the shells underneath and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it just makes a lot more sense to do it now. But yeah, it, it, I mean, some of those big guys have those small pads on now and, uh, and, uh, it, they almost, you know, at times you think, has he got shoulder pads on or not? Uh, but, uh, but, but yeah, they're, they're just so much, you know, lighter, more efficient and, uh, and probably, uh, you know, a good bit more, more protective. They're not bouncing around. I mean, you, you watch those 60s films and you see guys running and their pads are bouncing up and down. You don't see that at all now. I mean, it's just, uh, so yeah, uh, you're right, Earl. That's, uh, that's where they've gone. All right, man. Amazing stuff. We got one last one, Dan. I can't believe we got through all these. Here you go. Hey, Ryan. This question for you or Dan. Um, just wondering why the Pac-12 insists on 
playing its best games uh, after everyone on the East Coast is asleep. Um, next weekend, uh, Washington goes to Colorado, and the game starts at 10 o'clock <laughs> on the East Coast. And then the following week, USC plays at Washington State on 10.30 on a Friday night. I was just wondering why the Pac-12 is insistent on playing its best games when half the country is already asleep. Thanks. Well, I specifically asked Larry Scott that at halftime Saturday, and the Pac-12 says, it's not our fault. We're not the dumb guys here. The dumb guys are uh, the networks. They keep picking us for those late-night games because they like it. And you want to say, yeah, they like it because it's better than Hawaii or somebody, you know, on a late-night game. But uh, why do you let them do that? And he said, well, that's not our – I said, why don't you say something? You know, why don't you, you know, respond? I mean, you would have done ESPN a favor uh, for the Washington State game if you just said, no, we don't want to play that game. Uh, the, that could be two ranked teams, two unbeaten teams. The first time uh, you could have reminded them, for example, that they could take college game day to Washington State, which they've been wanting to do, and it would have been one of the biggest college game days ever, uh, you know, with that 15-year streak of the Washington State flag at every single game day. They'd have loved that. And, and, and Larry basically said, that's not our call, not our responsibility. And I said, are you second guessing yourself or the, you know, the networks? Oh, no, no. And I'm thinking, here's a guy making over $4 million a year and they don't have the ability to second guess the ESPN. I mean, you figured it out. We've been writing about it for six months. How dumb it is. I mean, they're kicking off at 1030 Friday night on the East Coast for two, Possibly two unbeaten ranked teams in the Pac-12. That's insane. That's so counterproductive. And to act like you've got no responsibility. Yeah, I only make you know four point whatever two million dollars a year to run the Pac-12. That's not my responsibility to chime in on what games go on and when. And and then and Larry will always say, and we dominate that time slot. Well, yeah, I guess. They're, you know, we, who else is on? You know, they're real happy with our late night games. Well, I guess they would, they would be, because it's better than what else they might have on at that time. But it, that doesn't mean it, you know, wouldn't have been better to have it on Saturday. I mean, ESPN's not going to tell you we screwed up, but they screwed up on certainly on the Washington State game. I mean, that's just a giant, giant mistake. But that nobody could have figured that out. You know, in the fall, I mean, excuse me, in the spring when the schedules came out, unbelievable. Yeah. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. Long show today, but I'm glad we got to everything. Um, good stuff, and uh, I guess we'll see you out there practicing a little bit. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> no. This is a good day. Tuesdays are always a good day. Uh, it's the longest practice of the week. They're in full pads, and you really get to see. I mean, I'm really interested in how today's going to go i mean it just this is this is a big day to see uh how do they adjust and 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 what does the injury list really look like uh uh when we see them in person yeah so this is a big day and this is an important day and uh i really can't wait all right well good stuff uh dan weber uh we'll see you out of practice you can follow him along at uscfootball.com of course I'm Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time.
You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 